We begin in the city of Brightport. It's a rainy evening here in this coastal city. Down by the beaches, the surf seems to be getting dangerously close to the cliffs that hold the city up above the waves. Brightport itself is built over top of a river. There's a sort of island in the midst of this river leading right up to the estuary where a great waterfall dumps the fresh water down to the beach and into the sea beyond. Standing there, on the corner of this cliff face, practically invisible with the heavy rainfall and the cover of night, are two figures, greatly contrasted in their size. One is hunkered under a sort of poncho, protecting herself from the storm. The other is standing straight, his face turned up toward the wind. I don't even know if our ship's going to make it into the port. I mean, with this storm going on, I guess Prevalian screwed us. She says to the tall half-orc at her side. Quit being such a coward. A little wind and rain are nothing to be afraid of. It seems like you're right about the boat. I guess we'll just have to wait another day or two. She shifts uncomfortably at his words, but he doesn't notice. Well, the storm doesn't look like it's going to let up, so how about we forget the boat? I've never really cared for boats anyway, so let's just go try to find some horses, and we'll just hit the open road. I mean, it's not that far to Branchire anyways. It'll be an adventure, right? Horses, eh? Hmm. But where are we going to get horses at this hour? She looks up at him again, a mischievous glint in her eye. Oh, I think I know just the place to get them. The half-orc grunts. (laughs) Well, if you say so, but I really was looking forward to sailing. I'd hoped we might run into some pirates on the way so I could show them what a real man is capable of. Someone willing to stand up and fight the people's champion. Oh, don't you worry about that. I say we'll have a much better chance of running into some low lives and villains on the road. What do you say? Do we ride for Brainshire? He looks down at her, pausing for a moment. Yeah, I guess. Then, with a grin. Dibs on the big one. Far from the coast city of Brightport, about as far as one could possibly be, it is not raining. It never rains here. At least, it never rains water. But it is very dark. In fact, the only light in this room is a small, smoldering fireplace. There is a large four-poster bed just to the left, barely illuminated by the embers burning low in the hearth. The only sound is the low sizzle of the coals and that of soft, rhythmic breathing. But wait, now that you mention it, I can hear something else. Is that footsteps? There, that right there. Sounds like the soft shuffling of feet in the dark. That's not usually a good sign anywhere, but in this place, just then a word is spoken in the darkness. A deep, guttural speech, one not commonly used amongst the living. And at this deep word of power, the low-burning embers of the fireplace burst to life, flashing the room with a hot red glow. All around the bed are short black beings, one with the shadow. They stumble back, rolling on the rugs, their slick skin glistening in the firelight as their long pointed tails lash about them. Five, six, no, seven of them screech and cover their eyes as the blazing fire blinds them. These creatures are one with darkness, but now, in the red burning light, the figure on the bed is clearly visible. He sits cross-legged, his skin bright red, two wicked horns twisting toward the ceiling. He looks up with a wicked toothy grin. Well, well, Zareth, you shouldn't have. A going away present for me? You really do care. Then, flying off the bed, this figure glows red as his great translucent wings spread toward the high ceiling. In one fluid motion, he draws a sword from the air, one of solid flame. And quicker than the eye can see, this devilish being disposes of the imps around the room. Their bodies around the floor immediately flicker and turn to ash. There's a knock at the door, and then a slow creak. In steps a hunched creature dressed in black serving robes. 
its tail wrapped around his waist. Your Majesty, it would appear that you have a visitor. Would you see her now, or should I inform her that you are busy, he says, glancing around the room at the ashes. The red figure dispels his flaming sword. No. I suppose it's time. Send her in. He says as he turns back toward his bed and begins to dress himself. Moments later, another horned figure enters the room, dressed in robes of deep black, her purple skin radiant in the glow of the fire. Satsaurus, I have come as you asked, and I have brought the necessary components for the ritual. Are you certain that you want to do this? You do know that you can never return, and your father... I am well aware of what my father will think. I don't ask you here for conversation, and I didn't pay for your opinion. Now, let's do this. Open the gate. Cutting her eyes at him, the purple girl steps toward the fireplace. She draws from her robes a clear orb, swirling with purple, red, and black shadow. Speaking the infernal incantation, she smashes the globe into the burning coals. The fire lashes out, growing and writhing with purple, red, and black flames, lined with matching smoke. Stepping back, she looks again to her client. Safe travels, your highness. With a glint in his eye, the tall, red figure steps up to the fireplace, zipping up his black and red leather jacket. You see something in here you like, take it. I won't be needing it anymore. And then he steps into the flames and disappears in a flash. Good riddance, she says, spitting into the now cold hearth. She steps over toward the bed, yanks the thick blanket from the top, and marches toward the door. Is this still a podcast where we play Dungeons and Dragons with each other? Is it? (laughs) I love it. I like it. I dig it. No. You're listening to Make Believe Heroes, an actual play, 5th edition, Dungeons & Dragons adventure. Let me roll this giant d20. 18. No. Each year, for seven days leading up to the summer solstice, the city of Branshire holds a festival in honor of the great god Pelor. For these seven days, the people of Branshire bring forth all of their goods and wares for sale. People travel from afar to purchase the best produce, the best grains, and pelts that you can find anywhere in the world. The people of Branshire, often referred to as Branshirings, are some of the most honest and hardworking folk you'll ever meet. Branshire is a city built upon the very principle of being neighborly, treating others with respect, and lending a hand. Respect! In fact, Branshire is arguably the safest place on Monumi. There's little need for any true military presence, as their sister city, Barlins Pass, is an incredibly effective deterrent for any external threats. Branshire doesn't even have a protector's guild in the city, which is practically unheard of for a settlement of this size. The people of Branshire take care of themselves, and on the off chance that some trouble does arise, they band together and snuff it out in a jiffy. Today is the first day of the Festival of the Rising Sun. So, you all might be wondering... Who's playing this game with me today? <laughs> we begin with a human. Ooh. <laughs> there is a young to middle-aged man standing in a makeshift sort of kitchen area in his home. He is preparing himself some breakfast as the sun is just beginning to rise for the day. Alan, why don't you describe Brackle for us? Ooh. Well, Brackle is a sort of stoic 
he doesn't have many words to say because he uses his words wisely and often not at all. Brackle is tall, around 5'10", with dark features, skin tan and leathery from long days in the sun. He wears a dark cloak, the color of the forest and the plains, Mm -hmm. boots, shirt, pantaloons, all very simple and plain, but very utilitarian. He is equipped with a chain shirt beneath his normal shirt. Okay. A longbow, unstrung, a shield that he keeps on his back, obscured by the cloak, and a short sword tucked into his belt. But he is dedicated to his home. To his home? Branshire. But Brackle doesn't live in the city, right? Right. Branshire is more of a region, though, right? Yes, it is, for sure. It's a city, but it's also more than that. You know, it's... It's like a city-state. It's a way of life. Yes. Brackle sticks to the fringes, to the edges, the borders, the wilderness, the woods, the plains. The fences. Yeah. The wall. And watches from afar. A silent guardian. A watchful protector. (laughs) A dark knight. (laughs) (laughs) He really is, though. He really is Batman. So Brackle lives in a sort of cabin, right? In the woods? Yeah. Cabin. Not far. Not far. No, just inside the fringe. Uh, just inside the fringe. What would you say his home is like? I'd say his home is very minimalist. He has mm-hmm. a kitchen with a table, and on the table are various meats that he has been butchering. and Well, not butchering. He, he does that outside like a right. civilized man. But, you know, he's got several uh, whittling projects of various states of progress on shelves on the kitchen table he's got some meat that's curing i assume that's where you do it i've never cured meat but brackle knows how he's got you know just what he needs to live and his few hobbies so he's got a bookshelf a single bookshelf full of books some of them range from how to survive in the wilderness to how to disassemble a deer and how other things like great works of classic fiction and he's got a television set in the corner (laughs) Please. Okay, so would you say it's kind of like a one-room cabin? That's how I would envision it. It's like a one-room cabin. He's got a cot in the corner where he sleeps. It's really more of a hammock. So what does Brackle do to begin his day on a day like today? The first day of the Festival of the Rising Sun. First thing. He hunts wild Charlies. (laughs) Today, being the first day of the festival, Brackle's up before daylight, preparing to head into Branshire. What's that look like? Well, he starts every day with 30 minutes of yoga. Okay. <laughs> and then he does some, I mean, he not yoga because I don't, I don't know if yoga exists in Manumi. It does not. Okay. So he, he spends the day <laughs> stretching, doing calisthenics. He eats a austere breakfast of eggs, dried meat, and a little bit of spice. You know, just like some pepper maybe. Like Okay. He just pours the pepper in his mouth. Does he have any pets? He has <laughs> 16 cats. God help. Oh. You know, I knew that. <laughs> um, but no, does he though? Does he have any pets? All of the wilderness is his pet. Like all okay. the creatures of the woods. Sometimes he eats sure. his pets. Sometimes he makes fur coats out of them. But he does have... Uh, <laughs> oh boy. So, Brackle goes about his day... Eats his breakfast of dried meat and eggs. And pepper. (laughs) He goes outside where he has prepared a wagon, a cart, if you will, that is filled and mounded over with his bounty from the year, his bounty of pelts and the like that he plans to sell at the festival. From a young age, Brackle would help his father sell the yearly bounty of pelts and meats that they would gather together, which would account for much of their livelihood from year to year. And now, even years after his father has passed, he continues this tradition as a hunter. And he had set up at the festival as always. So you head forth on the road toward Branshire. Yep. Hitch myself in the cart and drag it all the way to town on my own. You have a horse, (laughs) right? I mean, Brackle has a horse. Yes, he does. Does your horse have a name? And don't say his name is Horse. (laughs) No, his name is Glue. 
Go- oh. <laughs> I'm gonna use speak with animals. It's uh, can you give us the horse's voice? I'm so glad you're not there. Uh, it's a uh, gelatin. For the love of God, are no name or a name, please. Can we please? Yeah, I want to okay. move on. Okay, the, name or no name. The horse's name is Applejack. I set out with my horse Applejack. Sounds like a good name. So Brackle sets out with his horse Applejack, pulling the cart to Branchar. This is usually a trip that's filled with nostalgia, reflection, and excitement. Brackle feels none of those things. He does not. <laughs> and why? Why wouldn't Brackle feel those things? As you near the end of the road and enter through the northern gates of the city, Brackle, turning onto Circle Street, for the first time in your nearly 30 years of life, you do so with trepidation. Yeah, I do. Traveling onto Circle Street, even at this early hour, the street is lined on both sides with people setting up tables and booths. You see lots of unusual folk. Dwarves, gnomes... Elves and more dressed in strange, exotic clothing. The people of Branshire are a simple and quiet sort, and you personally have never gone farther than probably a few days' travel from the city limits. You've grown up here. This is your home. And as you head along the street, you're bothered by many of the things that you see. There are booths lined with weapons of war, great swords, battle axes, pikes. There are armor smiths selling all sorts of chain mail, plate mail, and the like soothsayers, potion shops. You spot one booth that's shrouded in thick purple linens, hiding the cellar and its contents from view with nothing but a simple sign above the opening that says, Secrets in a Flowing Script. And while you spot the occasional local setting up their produce or grains, the majority of the people that are out here on the street are foreign to you. You travel through town, heading to your destination, the Barley Barrel. The Barley Barrel is a common inn in Branshire, and that's where you're supposed to meet a friend of yours who's going to help you set up your booth. You ride through town, you see a lot of people, no one calls out to you, no one waves. This is very, very different from any of your previous experiences on the first day of the festival. There's a strange and somber mood in the air. I go in the Barley Barrel, start uh, saying hi to Mr. His name is Boren Barley. Mr. Boren. Ah, hello, Brackle. How are you? I am well. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. And you? Much the same. It's a strange day, isn't it? Tis. We've got a lot of people in the the inn. Most of them are still sleeping or out there on Circle Street setting up their booths, but uh, it's... I, honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about this new setup with the festival. Well, don't be a xenophobe, Barley. Oh, no, no. It's nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. It's just as long as I've been living, this festival has been for our people to set up and sell what we make to the world. You know, that's, people come from far and wide to get our food, our produce, everything. It's, uh, it's a big deal. But, well, the new mayor, he, uh, I guess he thought maybe we could use the money uh, in a different way, selling all these booths and these spots. You know, I saw someone, I think they might have been selling some trinkets, maybe dark magic. I don't know about that. Mm, I don't know much about that sort of thing either, but I don't like it. You know, bringing in more people. I mean, we've always had people come in for this festival. Sure, but, sure, sure. It's but, always busy. But now, all that money for selling the booths is going to the, to the mayor, and those who would normally sell their wares are being pushed out. Well, it's not just that. I don't know. Some of them, they give me a, a creepy vibe, you know? Yeah, like that guy in the corner in the black robes just whispering. Yeah. Did you see that guy? I saw him. Brenshire is a uh, it's a quaint little place, and um, usually we have at least this many people coming to visit. But, you know, I just hate to see that uh, so many of our own people couldn't get booths, couldn't even set up and sell their own wares. Hopefully it doesn't hurt them in the long run. Oh, and these interlopers, they'll fly by knots swoop in, sell their goods, leave town. I guess we should try and make the best out of a uh, not not perfect situation. I suppose you're probably here for Lelia, right? Absolutely. I'll, I'll go fetch her for you. She said you two actually procured a booth? We did set up a booth. With these times, it's, it was challenging to find one for each of us, so we went, we went halvesies. 
Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I'll go get her for you. I think she's just back there getting things ready for breakfast. He turns and goes through the swinging door into the kitchen area. You look around and there are a couple of stragglers, you know, locals that wave and say hi. Out from the back door, it swings open and into the room steps a young woman, probably in her early to mid-twenties with long curly blonde hair as she is removing an apron from around her neck that's covered in flour. A pretty girl, a country girl, and she steps towards you. And she's taking off an apron that's covered in flour where she's been kneading dough and making biscuits. And she says, oh, hey, Brackle. Hey. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Well, you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing just fine, Brackle. I, I guess you're ready to go set up. Did you bring all of the pelts? I did. All of them. Well, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to make the best out of this, huh? We say we go set up. I'm, I think I know where our booth is. I, I went and looked last night. We get a good one? Yeah, it'll be fine. You know, I mean, all the booths are pretty much the same. Really, I guess, if you think about it. It's near one of the gates, so that's good. That is good. I can keep an eye on those who come and go. So, Brackle, you and Lelia set out from the Barley Barrel, and a short journey around Circle Street, you find yourselves over on the eastern side of the city, near an alleyway that cuts back between some of the houses, but within sight of the northwestern gate that heads into the core of the city. You find there some tables, they're empty, and you begin setting things up. You work together for the next half an hour, hour, and as you are, more and more people are beginning to move about the city. You see locals, and you know you wave and say hello. No one that you know ever walks by without saying hello. Everyone in Branshire is friendly to a fault. And as the day goes on, you find that things are strange and you see some people coming through that look very, very foreign to you. Elves wearing strange orange and red clothes and dwarves in full battle armor. But most of them seem pretty friendly. You're used to seeing people like that coming anyway to buy wares. And everyone that you speak to, at least, is very friendly and you find yourself coming a little higher in spirits as the day goes on. You know, maybe it's not going to be so bad. Sure, it stinks that many of your friends and people that you've known your whole life and farmers that you have worked with and different things are unable to sell their wares because they couldn't afford a booth or weren't able to set one up. But for the most part, you think maybe it'll be okay. As the day wears on, it's getting about midday. You and Lelia have been manning the booth for a while. You've done pretty good. You've already sold quite a few pelts. You know, it's the first day, but you've done quite well so far. At a certain point in the day, you and Lelia are standing there just having conversation you haven't had any customers for a few minutes, and you're just talking. Lelia's telling you about a book that she read that she got from the library recently, and she's recommending it to you. Suddenly, you hear a loud noise. It sounds like a voice that's sort of radiating across the street. And you hear, it's sort of muffled, you can't really understand it, but you hear this loud, amplified voice. And then you hear cheers. And it's a strange sort of phenomenon. You wonder what's going on. And Lelia turns to you. She says, what do you think that's all about? I don't know. It sounds like, sounds like a crowd has gathered for some sort of spectacle. Yeah, it's like cheering and clapping. And What's that? It almost sounds like someone's voice is just incredibly loud. I don't know. It's making me kind of nervous. You think everything's okay? Um, I'll go check it out. Why don't you, uh, if, you, if you're anxious, then step back here. It should be fine. I'll, I'll go take a look. Okay. I'll, I'll just man the booth. I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, it's just right over there. It does look like yeah. there's a crowd bundled up over that way. Yeah, it's, it's probably nothing, but just in case. And then he sort of very lightly brushes his thumb against the hilt of his short sword. Hmm. So Brackle steps around the booth and begins cutting his way through the crowd. Literally. Literally, <laughs> with the sword just slashing through. Uh. <laughs> Making his way toward this mob of people, cheering and shouting, some yelling, and then there's that occasional sound of someone's voice just booming over the crowd. So Brackle, as you're going over to see what's going on, we see a few things. First of all, this is a mob. I mean, it's a huge crowd of people, all bundled up from every side around what looks like a sort of caged-off circle in the center of Circle Street. 
both branch hearings and out-of-towners alike have gathered around this large arena. And off to the right side, there is a small platform inside with a set of steps attached to it. Atop this platform stands a woman, Felicia. Describe Misk for us. She's about 5'7", tan, skin tone, blonde hair, blue eyes. No, mm. she's she's very pretty. I see. Catches the eye. Mm-hmm. She's just wearing a leather, okay. just normal outfit, not too fancy. Nothing flashy. Yeah. Okay, blend into the crowd. Type blends clothes. into the crowd, but everybody knows. Okay. Standing atop this platform, she seems to be commentating on whatever is going on down in this dirt arena in the middle of the street. And if you look now, you'd see there are two figures inside this large arena-type area. There is a large, muscular figure currently standing off against an even larger man, if not taller, with a pretty prominent gut. So, Jeffrey. Eh? Why don't you describe Kjorg for us? Kjorg! He's a half-orc. And he's six foot seven, really tall. Man, yeah. he's tall. And he's yeah. really muscular, like really strong guy. Yeah, ripped, just ripped. He's jacked, and he's got really—it's like a dark gray, almost black skin, and he's got white eyes, which is pretty creepy, but awesome. Ooh. Yeah, it is awesome. He's basically Dark Link, and he's—he doesn't have any hair. He's bald. And he's wearing a sleeveless royal blue shirt, right? Yes, with some chainmail under it. You can't really see that, though. Okay. This some blue pants. big, muscular half-orc is currently putting a hurtin' on this thick, heavy-set guy that's in the ring with him. And Misk is commentating as he does so. Come on, Kjord. You think that's good enough? Come on, people. Cheer him on. Let's go, Kjord. What, what this guy, guy thinks he's got your no. Hey, you, you at the face. You said he wouldn't win. You said he wouldn't win, right? Yeah, yeah watch this. People's champion, y'all. Come and see him. Oh, man, cure. Not the face. Poor guy. You should have just hit him in this. Oh, never mind. You hit him there, too. <laughs> Poor guy. After a few more moments of this very one-sided contest, very. the heavyset man is lying on the dirt, unconscious. A few people come to help drag him off to the side as Misk begins to summon forth someone else to come and challenge the mighty cure. All right, guys, you seen this guy hit the ground. Who wants to fight cure next? Come on. People's champion, you think you got it? Yeah. Come on, bring it on. Brackle, you walk up just around the time that Cure delivers the final punch to the man that's now being dragged away inside the arena. You have to push forward for a few minutes, and you're just mostly hearing the commentary of this woman standing atop the platform, along with the cheers and oohs and boos from the crowd. And as you get up there and you see this fight and you see what's going on, I mean, you realize pretty quickly that it's just a fight, right? Yeah. Would Brackle want to stick around, or would he just basically head back? He would watch for just a moment, so he wants to assess whether this is harmless fun or whether there's actual danger here. And if there's actual danger, then he might stick around to be on guard. But you know, he, after a minute, he thinks, "Oh, this is just this is just fun." Uh, yeah, you don't see anyone using any weaponry. You know, it's just fisticuffs, and it didn't look like this half orc was trying to kill the man. He just knocked him unconscious. He seemed to do so with precision. He seems to know what he's doing. So Brackle feels pretty confident that this is just sport. Yes. Yeah, so he. Walks away. So Brackle turns around, begins to make his way back through the crowd. Everyone's cheering. You hear Misk commentating, egging someone else to come into the arena and challenge the mighty Kjorg. And then all of a sudden, everything gets very quiet. (gasps) The cheering, the announcing cuts off. Brackle, you turn again to look into the arena to see what what is it that's that's got everyone's attention. Kjorg has backed up a few feet as, in the center of this caged arena, something quite strange has appeared. About two feet off the ground, there seems to be a sort of crack in space. 
By which I mean just two feet from the ground is a sort of lightning bolt suspended in midair. It's as if a bolt of darkness was about to strike the earth, but then froze just before it could. From this bolt is seeping purple, red, and black energy. It's crackling, and there's emanating an otherworldly pulsing sound. The sound grows louder and louder for just a few moments as people begin to back away from the arena, now nervous and a bit frightened, when suddenly, with a crash like thunder and a flash of red and black flame, smoke fills the area and the bolt disappears. A new challenger appears. You can all see as a small ember of fire burns inside the black cloud at about eye level. And as the smoke clears, you see standing there a figure dressed in black leathers taking a deep draw from a cigar. Jeremy, describe Saul for us. <laughs> Saul is the best. The worst. He's beautiful. <laughs> He's tall. He's about six foot. Mm-hmm. He's dressed all in very, very fine red and black leathers, head to toe, high boots, long jacket. His skin is red, bloody red. His eyes are white, maybe silver, maybe some silver, some white. It's kind of cloudy in there. Mm -hmm. He has two perfect horns that come off the back of his head. Well, they they start on the front. It's not like they curl. I guess they kind of angle just straight back, like pointing behind him. Mm -hmm. Between those horns, he has raven black hair. Some of it kind of falls on his face. It's pretty long coming down the back of his neck. He uh, takes a big, big draw off that cigar. Toothy grin. Anytime you look at him, he's probably smiling. He's tall and slender, not a, like a hulking figure at all. Just in terms of your overall appearance, it's it's definitely different now. Oh, no. I mean, you're smaller than the way you were before. Significantly smaller, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, normal human size. Whereas before, you would probably have classified yourself as larger than life. Yes. Oh, he has a tail as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of flicks and waves around behind him. Am I, so I'm smaller. So are my wings? Do I have my wings? No. Oh! You go to looking around and feeling around, and you, you knew that there were going to be some significant changes. You knew that things were going to be different now, but you didn't really know just how different. And now, as this smoke is clearing, you're at first just checking yourself out. You know, you look down, you see there's no wings. You notice that your body is a little more slender, if still muscular, just not as, I don't want to say beefy, but, you know, something along those lines. Not as big as you were before. You know, your horns, you feel them, they feel mostly the same. And you take a deep breath and it stinks up here. It's nasty. I uh, take the cigar out of my mouth and I look around at all the people staring at me. Mm-hmm. You look around and you see there's a crowd of people staring at you with their mouth agape. Uh, hello, peasants. Nice of you to uh, have an entourage waiting for me. And I start walking towards them, cigar in hand. You just start walking toward the gate, cigar in hand a little bit. And um, as everyone starts to sort of move and talk again, some of them still look scared, but some of them are looking up at Misk thinking, is this just part of the show? Misk, this is not part of your show. (laughs) (laughs) You did not expect this, but looking down onto the arena now, you know without a doubt that your baby brother just appeared in the middle of your arena. Oh! <laughs> Gotta love it. Uh, uh ladies, ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> what the crap? No. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, kill him! <laughs> kill him. You, you wanted, wanted a show? <laughs> well, well, we got, got you one. one. Here's, Here's our, our next, next, uh... I think she would be a little... A little, little bit unraveled, but I feel like she would pick it up pretty quick. Uh huh. Now remember, you are in disguise, so he has no idea who you are. Don't don't, don't worry, everyone. everyone. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I guess, I guess we got, got our next uh, champion. Maybe I don't know. We, we have, have a people's champion. champion. This, this guy, guy thinks he's good. I don't know. I guess we're gonna have to find out. Are you ready? There's a moment of silence with people looking around nervously, and then you just hear someone off in the far crowd go. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> suddenly everyone starts cheering again and chanting yeah. cured, 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 cured. That's right. Cured, That's right. Saul makes it to the edge. He has no idea what's going on. He makes it to the edge of the arena to where people are shouting cured, and he goes, mm-hmm. 
My name is Sutsaurus, and you address me as such. And I'm right behind him, and I say, no one cares what your name is. So you turn to see this very tall, six foot seven, thick, muscular half-orc standing there, cracking his knuckles and looking at you. Hello, peasant. Peasant. I think you should fetch what, a slave for me. What are you doing? Maybe we should fetch a stretcher. A stretcher. And I take a swing at him. Burn! Oh, swing. yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Roll oh initiatives. Oh, my gosh. Roll me two initiatives, please. Okay, here's how we're going to do this. This is going to be a fight, but it's not to the death. It's whoever drops to zero hit points first is knocked, quote-unquote, unconscious, but not in the typical D&D fashion where you're unconscious and you're potentially dying, but more so of, well, you're unconscious. You just got knocked out. So you all will use your hit points. Regular attacks will do half damage. No weapons allowed. So Saul knows none of this. Exactly. Saul doesn't know anything. So, here we go. Roll me initiatives. I got a 15. Okay. Jeffrey? I got a 12. Okay. So, Saul, you will be going first. That being said, Kjorg just got a surprise attack on you. Oh! Kjorg, you take a swing at him. Roll me an attack roll. That's a 14. (laughs) My armor class is a 14. (laughs) Okay. That is a hit, and it deals four damage. So... Um, should, should we do half damage on attacks for this? Or should we just let it be full damage? I mean... I mean, we're level one, okay? We're starting at level one here, folks. I just do. And, uh, I mean, your max is... We should is... just do our unarmed strike damage. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Only, oh, he's got weapons. I only have nine HP, bro. Jeremy? Yeah? Your unarmed strike does zero damage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, it does zero damage because you have a negative one to strength. <laughs> I also don't know the rules, so I'm just going to stab him. Yes, exactly. But Okay, so you take a swing. You're going to take four damage from that, Saul. Right to your face. <laughs> mm. So just, what's that, how do you go about that, Kjorg? What do you do? After he says, maybe you should fetch me whatever, I, and I say, maybe we should fetch you a stretcher. And I literally just rear back and punch him in the mouth. Oh my gosh. Like a brawl. So you turn back, Saul, probably to give some sort of a quip. And as you do, you see as a dark, blackish gray knuckled fist crashes into your face. And it knocks you back. You stumble a good five feet and then catch yourself, spit a little blood, and turn to see this half-orc standing there. Ooh, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> I spit out the blood. I just, I stand all the way back up, make sure mm-hmm. I'm at my full height. And I just pull a dagger out of my, out of my belt and oh. say, guess you choose to die today. And I'm going to go running at him. Okay. You see Misk as Saul is running toward Kjorg with a dagger in hand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess this guy's so like, hey, does this guy not know the rules? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm sure that Saul's not stopping. Oh no. no, Saul's running. Saul is no one running panic. to stab him. No one panic. It's just a little knife. You think that bothers him? You hear someone yell out, no weapons, <laughs> as you try to attack him. Give me an attack roll. Miss. <laughs> Jeffrey said, please. You got this. Please. It's a natural one. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, Alan. Uh, that, was the, that was the fakest. How is this even? He's like, you take uh, five damage. <laughs> <laughs> you take five damage. That's my normal sports game enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Uh-huh. Sports ball. Okay. Uh, so Brackle saw Saul appear, right? Yes, he did. He decided to stick he around when that happened. Okay. I kind of thought so, but I'm glad you pointed that out because I didn't think to say anything about it. So you come running toward him, dagger in hand, ready to just try and stick it into his gut. And Kjorg, oh my ready for you. I mean, his blood's pumping. He's been doing some wrestling and some fighting now for the last hour or so. He just waits for you to get in close, and he grabs your wrist and flips you over. Now, he doesn't snap your wrist in half or anything, oh, but man. he grabs you. one your... damage from that, please. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was just going to take his dagger, but Come on. Um, what I was going to do was like grab you and sling and flip you over his shoulder onto the ground. So yeah, I mean, that would probably deal you one damage. 
Yes. He grabs your wrist, and Saul, you are completely taken aback by this. Like, the moment... (laughs) I can't believe... (laughs) The fact that I got hit in the face and it knocked me back so far by a Mm -hmm. half-orc, I'm I'm beyond shocked at this world. Yeah, you don't even know what's happening. I mean, you should be... This dude should already be dead. And he grabs your arm, spins your wrist a little bit, and he pulls it over his shoulder a little, and you immediately release the dagger in a yell of pain. And then he flips you over his shoulder and essentially body slams you onto the dirt and you take one damage. The wind is knocked out of you. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> oh! I knew that was going to happen too. That's one of its favorite moves. You bring a knife to a fist fight with the people, Jeffy! <laughs> I love it. So, Kjorg, it's your turn. <laughs> What do you do? Okay. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. What do you do? <laughs> I'm going to attack him. Okay. I just want to see if it hits first. <laughs> please. Please hit. It's a 17 plus 5. That's a hit. So whenever I, since he's already slammed him on the ground, mm-hmm. I literally want to curb stomp his groin. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> curb stomp. You're terrible person. So Saul dies. Saul's dead. <laughs> the people's champion. <laughs> Crunch. Your your unarmed strike does four damage. How much HP do you have, Saul? Four. <laughs> exactly four. four. So you just uh, crotch stomp him into unconsciousness. <laughs> Ooh. When, as soon as you do it, everyone goes. <gasps> <laughs> yeah! And everybody just starts screaming. <laughs> Yeah, that's acceptable. We can do that here. Brackle looks at Kjorg, uh-huh. and even though Kjorg doesn't see Brackle, Brackle gives him a slight nod of respect and turns to walk away. <laughs> wow. Oh, jeez. Um, I cannot. I just, I cannot believe that happened. I know, right? <laughs> that one. That's, like, that's why I said you needed one damage. <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. Yep, that's why you made a campaign for that. I didn't even think about that. And we have it again. People's champion, he always delivers. Come on, everybody, give us a hand for George. Uh, welcome back, beloved friends and family, to MBH Season 2. You now have a little bit of an idea about our new characters coming into the second season. And we hope that you're enjoying it so far. I'm both nervous and excited to dig into some new characters, new territory, and new ways to haunt the nightmares of each of our players. (laughs) Speaking of our players, let me formally welcome Felicia to the party. I've played D&D for some years now, on and off. Excited to finally bring her into the fold. She's actually going to be running our Facebook page for us. So if you'd like to give a shout out to Felicia or Misk, as you will come to know her, maybe welcome her to the show, then you can do so on there or on Twitter at Junior21CoolCat. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, I know you're all anxious to get back to the show, so let me just real quickly give you a heads up on a few things. We will be doing a mid-roll sequence now on the show instead of a post-roll like we've typically done in the past, so thank you all for taking the time to listen to this. These things are going to help our show out exponentially, and you're all awesome for giving us a chance to squeeze this in here. So, first of all, we will begin our first ever dice giveaway next Monday. We're going to be giving away a brand new set of dice from DiceEnvy.com, chosen by our very own Alan, themed after everyone's favorite warlock, Jimalil Karth. Be sure to tune in to episode two for more details on that. And if you'd like to be the first to know about all of our giveaways and such, be sure to subscribe to our mailing list on our website, MakeBelieveHeroes.com. Just go to the homepage, scroll to the bottom, and there'll be a submission form for going on to the mailing list. Speaking of dice, we would love to give a huge thanks to DiceNV.com for becoming our first official show sponsor. The guys at DiceNV.com have tons of great dice-themed goodies for you to purchase. Not only do they have awesome sets of dice at a great price, did you know they also do a monthly curated limited-run dice subscription starting at just $5 a month? 
Imagine Loot Crate, but with gaming dice. Uh, yes, please. And if you use the promo code HEROES at the checkout, you can get 10% off your first month. Why not go ahead and drop down 50 bucks for a year sub for your favorite gamer? Go down to DiceEnvy.com and make someone real, real happy. If someone got me a Dice Envy sub for my birthday, which actually just passed on October 6th, or Christmas, I know I would love them for all time. Of course, as always, many of the sweet sounds in this episode can be found on BattleBards.com. Their awesome music and effects can add that perfect ambience that you want and need at your table. Go now and use the promo code MBHPODCAST to get 15% off of your BattleBards Prime subscription. Finally, before we go, we want to give a huge, huge thank you to everyone that has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps the show, and it lets us know that you love us. If you haven't done so yet, you should be like Grognak the Destroyer, whose review, Amazing, said, This podcast is amazing, and the story makes you want to keep listening all the way through. Or, like Zach Blaine's review, D&D at its best, which said, First, the audio quality is solid. Someone has spent some time making this show really stand a step ahead of the rest. I can't wait to see where this story goes. Need more episodes yesterday. Thank you guys so much for the kind words, Zach. We will get you as many episodes as we possibly can, and we hope that we can interact with you guys on Twitter or Facebook. Holler at us. Let us know who you are, where you are. We would love to chat. So that should be enough for now. I know that you all want to get back to Circle Street, where a certain tiefling seems to be having a pretty rough day. Everyone cheers. Everyone's going crazy. Sotsaurus is lying on the ground somewhere between consciousness and unconsciousness. Mostly he's having a conversation in his mind with himself along the lines of, what is happening? This can't be real. What is this pain? <laughs> what is this life? What have I done? I've made a huge mistake. Can I go back? <laughs> and, um, Misk, you see this as a perfect opportunity to take a break for a little while. All right, All right folks, folks, that's, that's it. it. That's, that's it for the day. day. We're, We're going to calm, calm down, down like cured, you know, know rest his little muscles. muscles. I mean, big muscles. <laughs> Everyone cheers. <laughs> let him rest a little bit even though he probably doesn't need it but maybe let you guys rest and we'll see who uh who wants to step in the ring tomorrow now let's give him a one last hand and we'll be out for the day everyone cheers and claps after a few moments brackle you see as everyone starts to disperse what do you do you disperse as well right after my nod i turn to walk away since i see that what i thought was possibly a serious danger had been handled yeah it was handled handily <laughs> So I was, uh, I was already on my way out. Okay. All right. So, Brackle, you are making your way back through this pressing crowd, headed toward your booth to meet Lelia. Misk, everyone starts to disperse, and some of the guys that you have hired and convinced to help you out with this booth, if you want to call it that, are going around and collecting the winnings from all the bets that people placed against Kjorg, you know, getting your bounty for the day. And uh, what do you do? Are they just running up to me, or am I going to, like... No, nah, you're, like, in an arena. The guys that are doing that are making their way through the crowd getting money. So they're not bothering you right now. They're going about their business. And it's just you, Satsaris, and Kjorg in the ring. Uh, since everybody's, like, dispersing and not really paying attention to us, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to um, walk over to Saul, or Satsaris, laying on the ground. Because I'm sure he's still laying dead. on the ground. Yeah, dead. <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. And I think, I think I'm gonna stay disguised mm -hmm. as I walk over to him. Okay. So I walk over to him and I'm like, "You gonna get up?" Uh, I come up with a stretcher. Kjorg, <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. I mean, the stretcher we might need it, but that was that was just a joke. You know, you could say it. I throw aside. it. I throw it on him. I fetch your stretcher <laughs> for you. Just drop it on him. <laughs> okay. Oh. So does she look like her normal self? Nope. She looks like a human. Blonde. With blonde hair and blue eyes. You don't know who it is, bro. I start slowly. Saul starts coming too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Get that get that thing away from me. What who who are you? Hmm. I'm Misk. Eh. 
Am I mm, still, what am I supposed to do? He will totally know He'll if totally you tell know. him it's Miss Casola. <laughs> I am Miss Miscellaneous. <laughs> <laughs> um. By the way, it's mischievous. Mischievous. Um, I think you should be telling me who you are. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm Satsaurus, the Nine Hells Prince. And he, like, starts getting up and, like, dusting himself off all frumpy. Mm-hmm. Roll me a constitution check save. Con? Yeah, just a con save as you're standing up. It's a 19 on the dice. Okay, you're good. You are pulling it in. Hmm. Stands up, dusting himself off. Mm-hmm. Going in his coat, fishing out a cigar. I'm not one to be tifled with. Trifled. Ah, you tifled. Tifling. Tifling. Not. I'm not one to be trifled with. Is that your half orc woman? Um, no, you're my tiefling. Cured, <laughs> <laughs> cured. Now listen, you're in my arena, and you're in my domain. So I think you need to just calm down a little bit before you get ahead of yourself. Because I'm pretty sure Kjorg wouldn't mind, you know, taking you down a couple more notches. I arrive on the plane and immediately am attacked by a half-orc? <laughs> what? Who are you people? Oh, come in here mocking us, trying to tell us what to do like you're some sort of slave master. Unless you want to get your groin stomped again. Kjorg, Kjorg. Let's not do any more groin stomping. Or, what did you say, curb stomping? <laughs> man. It sounds awful. It is awful. <laughs> so, little, little man. I think I'm going to call you Little Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Little oh, Man. Oh, boy. Uh, how about we go buy a drink or something? Or we go get you some food? Go buy a drink. Beat me up and buy a drink. That's what we want to do. Eh, you look kind of nice. A little bit. See, this whole time, I know. Mm-hmm. So I'm literally just, like, pulling this chain. Like, yeah. it's great. So you into it or what? I mean, you want to go have a meal? You want to lay sure, on the ground? Sure, Let's... Let's see what they what they feed people here. Oh gosh, I really just want to slap you. Can I just slap you? <laughs> Why would you slap me? Who you just, are you? What do you want? You just look like you have a really slappable face. <laughs> he does. <laughs> believe me. Cure, good one, cure. So you help Satsaurus back up to his feet. He's dusting himself off, and as he's doing so, a couple of those young guys that were helping you out in the crowd, guys and gals, a halfling boy comes up to you, and he was sort of the head one. He has a bag that he's collected all of the gold from your winnings. So roll me four d4s. So you uh, quickly added up, and you actually collected 90 gold from your winnings. Jorg, we got it big, boy! (laughs) Kjorg, as she's counting up the gold and everything, you're going off to the side. and I'm like, I can't count that. High. I'm going to let her count that. <laughs> exactly. You go over to the platform over there, and there's a little compartment in the side that opens up. And inside, you have your whip and your sickle and anything else that you keep, any weapons that you keep. And you go ahead and decide you're going to equip those on before you go. And as you're doing so, and she's over there with the halfling counting up her gold, and Satsaris is over there nursing his... Uh, Injuries? Yeah, <laughs> definitely injuries. You feel as someone just lightly taps you on the shoulder. Uh, turn around. You turn, and you see a figure standing there. It's a tallish human man, just over six feet, so, you know, a few inches shorter than you, of course. He has jet black hair peppered with gray. He's wearing nondescript, dark-colored clothes, but he's clearly armored underneath with a chain shirt. I mean, you pull off the same dress, so you're very capable of spotting that. There's really only one thing about this guy that stands out, and that is this very beautiful, ornate rapier that's on his hip. Oh. And on the handle, there is a golden son of Pelor. Is it Servance? It's Servance, yeah. It's him. It's 15 years later. <laughs> Hello, it's uh, Kjorg, right? Yes. Man, that was some very impressive fighting you did back there, Kjorg. Of course. The people's champion, she was calling you. I am the people's champion. He stretches out a hand to you to shake your hand. I'll shake his hand. Very firmly, though, I shake his hand. Oh, yeah. Firmly. Really good, good handshake. Ah, that's a good handshake, son. 
I'm actually... Hey, don't call me son. Oh, no disrespect. I'm sorry. It's just, it's an old habit, you know. Old men like myself, well, older men like myself, we tend to pick up those sorts of habits. Well, Kjorg, I just wanted to speak with you for a moment. Are you interested in perhaps making some money? I just did. <clears throat> in case you didn't notice. Uh, no doubt. I'm, I, from the looks of things, you all made out pretty well with those bets. But you know, a hundred gold, that's nothing compared to what I'm willing to offer the people who might be interested in helping me. What kind of gold we talking? Uh, well, an exact figure I can't exactly lay out for you, but probably more gold than you've ever had. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say... If you're street fighting for gold, uh, you've probably never had anything in the realm of 2,000, 3,000 gold in your pocket. How much more than 90 is that? Think about buying one horse <laughs> or buying 30 horses. <laughs> oh, 30 horses. Yes, buying a ranch and a fence and a field for your horses and a house. I've always wanted a fence. That's the sort of gold I'm discussing, Kjorg. You might have heard some of the strange rumors about, well, some things are going on in Manumi. You may have heard about the canopy over in Fallen Grove. Canopies? You heard anything about that? Please. Not that. <laughs> anything but that garbage. Kjorg, you would have heard a little bit. You know, you don't really know a lot about it, but you would have heard something about the canopy being destroyed. Oh, yeah, something about that. That's none of my business, though. Sure, I understand. Unless there's some strong fighters there. Do you know any? Well, I, I'm not interested in going to the canopy. Are you a strong fighter? Bjorg. Perhaps one day you and I can spar. Well, that would be great. But for now, uh, if you're interested, I'm looking to enlist maybe some of the strongest people to help in well, a situation. We're trying to make the world better. The strongest Yes, and that's why I came to talk to you. Of course. So, if you're interested in making some money and helping people and perhaps being considered one of the greatest champions to ever live, the greatest, then you should meet me at the local tavern, the Barley Barrel. It's just across the way there. If you walk on Circle Street, you'll come to it. If you head in that direction, he points to the right, you'll come to it on the left. Not too far from here. If you'll meet me there, say, after the last bell, I'd love to discuss perhaps an arrangement. You can bring your friend there, he says, motioning to Misk, and it seems like maybe the tiefling is going to be tagging along with you as well. Ugh. Uh, we'll see what we can do. All right, it sounds like a plan. I will see you at the barley barrel after the last bell. Okay. The last bell. Have a good day, Kjorg. Sure. And the tall, dark, and handsome turns and walks away. Saul's still there. What are you talking about? Does he have any gold? Can I, like, slot of hand him? Oh, my gosh. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a try. it's a cure. Oh, let's see what we got here. It's my first die roll of the night. Um, oh. <laughs> I hope it's a natural one. Skills. What are you looking for, slide of hand? 16 total. You got a 16 total? Yeah. I got a 16. Mm. So since we matched it, I'm going to say that you go to do it and you think to yourself, mm, I think he saw me move. Mm. So you don't steal from him. He also doesn't necessarily know that you were trying to. Okay. Stalemate. Yeah. All right. You turn and you see Misk and Saul there. Misk has counted up all of your gold. How much did we make? Enough. <laughs> Oh, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, I think it, in a couple days we'll be able to do a little bit better. But, you know, this is pretty good. Not bad for first day. Where is my drink? Getting things done. What? You said we were going for drinks. Did, Why are we standing cured. here? L looking at currency. Cured. Did this dude just... Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you just interrupt me? You want a drink? Give him a drink of this fist right here. <laughs> oh, no, I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. But seriously, don't interrupt me. I'll slit your throat and make you drink your blood. <laughs> oh, jeez. Cure, cure, cure. 
That's good God in heaven. It's a real, real character shift for Kjork. <laughs> the dark side. Oh, uh, okay. just kidding. So the three of you turn and begin to clear out the arena, and you make your way toward the barley barrel to have some lunch and a drink for the tiefling. Brackle. Yes. As this is all going on and the crowd is dispersing and you're making your way back through the street, it's a little more difficult this time to get through than it was on the way in, and you're, you get a little frustrated, honestly. By the time you escape the mob, you're a bit flustered. But you make your way back, glad to be heading back over to the booth with Lelia. Yeah. But as you make your way along the street, you head toward your booth, you spot it up ahead. And expecting to see the curly blonde hair of Lelia as she's talking to a customer. Instead, you're greeted with an unsettling sight. What is it? You don't see Lelia. That is unsettling. What do I see? You notice that Lelia is not standing at your booth. Instead... There's an imposing man standing behind the desk, wearing what appears to be his best scowl. And Lelia is nowhere in sight. That man's dead. And that is where we're going oh. to wrap this episode. Oh boy. oh boy. Here we go. Season two. Starting off with a crunch. In the books. Season two is wrapped. Good job, everyone. Oh, that was well done. Well done, folks. Ready to uh, roll on to season three. No, just On kidding. to season three. So, in the event that you are just now tuning in, you should go back and listen to season one. There's some pretty interesting stuff that goes on in those 41 episodes. It's true. But I am your dungeon master, and this has been Make Believe Heroes, an actual play, fifth edition, Dungeons and Dragons adventure. And I've been joined by four of my friends. Why don't you guys go around and introduce yourselves as we exit? Hey guys, it's Jeremy, and I play Sut Saurus. I'm Jeffrey, and I play Kjork. I'm Alan, and I play Brackle. I'm Felicia, and I play Miss. And that's a wrap for us this week. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed it, you should always do what you do. Share us on Twitter. Give us an iTunes review. Send us a letter to letters at makebelieveheroes.com or just what have you. We hope that you enjoyed it and we look forward to diving into these new characters and this new setting in season two. See you next week. We love you. We do love you. Bye. Forever and always. So we do have one more thing we wanted to do today, something we're going to be doing in every episode, and hopefully you stuck around to the end to hear this. I'll tweet out a reminder just in case. But there were some questions we were unable to get to in the Q&A episode, and we didn't want to shortchange anyone. So we're going to take care of that right now. And in subsequent episodes, we're also going to take care of this by doing a short little fireside at the end. For this one, I'm handling it on my own because... I feel like I didn't give this a good answer in the Q&A. We received a question from friend of the show, Sam. He asked, could we get a little clarification on the door unlocking process and how Kellen's neck tattoo fit into that? I'm still confused about what was needed to unlock the four parts. So let me expound a little bit on that just for a couple seconds. So the door was there as part of the protection of the tree, the grove, and the stone. If I were to get into the specifics, and I will get into some specifics, Prevalian is the one who chose the door. Each of the gods contributed in protecting the stone. Pelor created the tree, and had Dimvarga not crafted the flute, or what have you, from the horn of the autumn stag, then she never would have been able to access the stone, period. The tree would never have opened up. And there's basically no creature on the face of Monumi that could actually destroy the tree with brute force. Uh, so that was Paylor's biggest contribution. Dervetter's contribution, of course, was his sentinels based at the bottom of the stairs, including the undead kraken. And the neck tattoo was his way of providing an in into the grove because Atonia asked him, and she's his wife and... If he has a blind spot, that's it. And then Atonia, of course, had stuff all over the grove. It was her grove. It was her 
sort of special place that she'd created, uh, and it had become this hiding place for this thing of great power. As far as Provalian's part goes, she's really intelligent. While all the other gods were all coming up with these unique and interesting ways to protect the stone, she just decided to put a door there. And basically, there needed to be someone with a connection to each of the gods there to open the door. But it was also a trap. Just some lore, I guess, for you. Anyone who had ever found the door in the past, even Hiles or someone, even if they didn't know what it was, who had somehow traveled to that plane and found that door miraculously, gotten that far, and then touched the door, had they not come in physical contact with the actual flame of the Lantern of Provalian, the door would have sucked all the magic, the life energy, if you will, out of them, and they would have died, and the door would not have opened. The only way the door would open is for an elf who had come in physical contact with the flame of Provalian to be there to open the door. As for how Dimvarga knew that Larik was that elf beforehand, well, uh, I hope to circle back around to some of this in the future. So, hope that gives a little more clarification on the door specifically. And if not, just shoot me a tech, uh, just shoot me another email, shoot me a holler on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Feel free anytime any of you to ask me any questions. And if it's something that I can answer, we just might get to it in one of these little fireside chats at the end of the episode. So hope you enjoyed that. Can't wait to get back to episode two next week. Thanks for listening.